especially at this incredibly busy time of year. I really appreciate it. Um, so uh, I'm Mary Balkin. Um, I run the Center for Faculty Development on campus and with the English Department. I know you all, so I don't know why I'm saying all that, but whatever. <laughs> okay, need to keep keep saying those things so I remember who I am on these days. Um, so, so we have um, presentations today from, I think we're at six of this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of our eight um, university teaching fellows from 2017-18. Um, that was the first year that the program was re reinstated. It had been a very popular program a number of years ago. Um, a lot of people that I came up through the ranks with had gone through it. Um, and um, then it just kind of faded away. Uh, it was done through TLTC. Anyway, so uh, Chuck Carter led it that first year, and unfortunately he's not available today. I did email him and asked him if he could come. Um, and Jeff Rice is also not available right now. He is one of the, that first group of eight he is teaching. Um, so on the back table is actually last year's CFP for the people who are doing it this year. So we do have a few of this year's UTFs in the room. If you could raise your hand, fabulous. Hello, there you are. Thank you for coming. Um, supporting uh, your, your, prede your predecessors, if you will. Um, so this is very informal, but part of, um, part of the program is, is asking the, the teaching fellows to sort of give back out to the community and share what they've done. Uh, it's a year-long program. Um, it, um, it comes with a stipend. Um, they're generally bi-weekly meetings. Um, in each semester. Uh, this semester, this year, the group is actually meeting with um, Tony Levisek because Chuck is on sabbatical. So a different, a different leader this year. Um, but it seems to be going well. I've heard good things so far. And uh, you'll get to see. So the idea of the program, uh, please take a handout in the back. If you're, you know, even if you know, just know somebody you think might be interested, it doesn't have to be uh, for yourself, um, spread the word. And um, the applications are usually due in August. You do it near the end of the summer. Um, and so, um, you know, just uh, trying to get the word out there. It, you have to be tenure-track faculty to be eligible. The whole idea is basically helping to develop the next generation of, of teachers and scholars and leaders actually at Seat Hall. Um, that was always the goal. So um, that's, that's what's happening. That would be great. So I'm just going to tell you who's going to be presenting, and then you guys can, in any order you want, you can do it as huh? closest can go first. All right. So maybe I'll just do that. I'm going to go around the horn and go around that way. So I think, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, and I missed seven. There we go. Okay. So going around the horn. All right. Well, let me just read my list, and then we'll go that way. So we've got Dawn Asgard. You can raise your hand. There you go. Dawn is from uh, Sociology, Anthropology, and Social Work. College of Arts and Sciences, uh, Jessica Fattrell, okay, also, biology. Bi your biology, right, sorry, I should have that written down, biology, ANS, Jeff Rice, again, couldn't be here, he is with um, Languages, Literatures, and Cultures, um, let's see, uh, Fanglini Gia is with um, psychology. psychology, thank you, I should know these departments, I'm afraid I don't, um, okay, Kristen Kohler, uh, Common the Arts, and which department? Public relations, thank you. Uh, Courtney Starrett, Common the Arts as well, um, Art and Design and Graphics and Art. I don't know, Art. <laughs> art, she does art. <laughs> I know, I've seen her art, it's fabulous art, so she does. Uh, Pat Manning from um, the uh, School of Theology. Um, is it a department? Um, I am the School of Theology. Okay, there you go. I don't feel so better about not knowing that. Uh, and Kenji, who is with the business school in which department? Finance. Finance, of course. Everybody I know is in finance. Okay. Useful friends to have. Okay, so, and I would like to uh, introduce Tony Levisic, who came in a few minutes later. Tony, you can wave. He is this year's leader of this of the current group. So, um, so yeah, why don't we just, I've asked them to do a very brief five minutes, just talk about what they did, um, what they got, you know, um, yeah, what, what they did during this their year in this program. So, um, oh, I have to leave my thing up here. Now you're going to use your own, right? I am. Can you log I in? I can plug in. Okay. Can I plug in and override it? I might you can definitely plug in and override it. You just have to press the right button somewhere. Okay. Not you can press, um, let's see. Like I'm assuming that you can connect to the phone. Or maybe not. You should be doing it. Oh, yeah. So I'll hit stop. Yeah, my idea. 
creative activity and, and traditional scholarship or research, but in thinking about how the terminology is actually very similar and it can be explained in similar ways. So I started thinking about similarities versus differences. So I came up with this little um, creative process as, as compared to the scientific method. Um, and that was basically kind of where I left off. I wrote my dossier this summer, so my project kind of didn't go much further, but I'm still interested in it. It's still something that I'm very much um, thinking about and hoping to reinvigorate and bring together the interdisciplinary major committee that we have at the College of Communication and the Arts and think about where do we go from here and how can we really integrate. Um, and I'm showing this piece, this is my work, this is a, a piece that I'm using computer science and color theory and, um, and art, so kind of thinking, it's actually called intersections and then how people interact with that, so that's somebody roller to distract from everything else. Somebody roller skating in my installation there. But um, in kind of thinking about, I, I thought it was appropriate to show this work because of the intersections and interdisciplinary nature of it. So that is maybe my five minutes. sections of core one, so I was able to have a, a test group and a control group, 
And what I did with the um, with the test group was I, besides just making a general effort to um, to try and dig into their own experiences more, to do uh, to approach the text more imaginatively, uh, I I implemented um, uh, these exercises throughout the semester, six times throughout the semester. Um, the last of which was this morning, actually where um, I walk the students through three steps where I'm asking them, first of all, to really um, spend some time uh, digging into their own experiences, thinking about their own lived experience, then um, spending some time really thinking in concrete terms about what they have read about, what we've discussed, whether that was in the Bible or Plato or Dante, uh, and allowing themselves to kind of marinate in the, in the, uh, the worldview or um, the self-images that they get from those kind of contexts, uh, those texts. And then finally, um, making a really uh, intentional uh, decision or judgment about, uh, is there something of value in these texts? Is, is there something here that might allow them to shift their, their own worldview, their own way of, of thinking? Um, so it's uh, unfortunate if we were meeting a week later, I could give you actual results. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my assessment later this week, and then I'll find out find out how this went. Um, but in all this, the um, yeah, I think that particular our our conversations about the scholarship of teaching and learning really gave me a, a more precise way of setting up this kind of experiment and, and thinking about how I was gonna uh, measure what kind of progress my my students have, have made. So, all right, that is my five minutes. I don't think I'm going to plug in any. I'm just going to use this as a prompt because most of it's pretty wordy. And I'll tell you why. Um, based on my project, it's already pretty wordy. So, again, also, I'm, I had the pleasure of being in the UTF program last year. It was a great way to learn cross-disciplinary that we all kind of have the same problems, the same hurdles in classes. We often found each other reading the same books, but then coming out to a discussion and going, that's what I have, the same problem. How do we deal with that? And then the readings, I felt, were very helpful to see that it wasn't even just Seton Hall. It was years, decades, hundreds of years of just people and teachers dealing with the same problems and trying to find ways to tackle those problems and improve the, their classroom. And I think from the program, I found out that um, teaching's always evolving, and the students are always evolving, and so we kind of have to evolve with them and kind of be very um, aware in our classrooms that everything's not always going to work the same way with each class, and we have to be willing to work on our own class, our own instructions with the students. You know, now that we have computers in the classroom, how do we deal with that? All these different things. So I felt like it was nice to feel that like I wasn't alone on the university level, like in a class where. I was like, oh, they're not engaged, or how do we get them more engaged? And it was nice to see that it wasn't just here, it's pretty much everywhere. Um, so I felt that was a very big part of the university teaching every two hours. It was very therapeutic, and I kind of missed it this year. <laughs> it would have been nice to have you all to go, guys, you don't know what's going on this week. Um, so I, I kind of missed that. Um, it was very nice. Um, in addition to that, we learned a lot about pedagogy, which I, I feel like I knew some about, but I, it was nice to see how other people implement it. And I teach in biology, and I have large courses, so coming in, my project was to kind of reach out in those large courses and get more discussion, because basically I go in, we teach, I leave, they have a test, and we do that every day, and I feel felt like even throughout um, the year-long um, part of the program that the students were not connecting what we do in the classroom as scientists with the outside world, unless they're engaged in research, they come in, they memorize whatever they got, they memorize, pass the test, and they leave. And they don't find sometimes the significance until they get upper level in science. So what my project was, was to try to bring the discussion to the classroom somehow, which is pretty tough with 90 to 180 students, which is typically what I'm teaching. Um, but I still think it's a very important part of the learning process, and I think in the large classrooms we've kind of removed it. Um, so, and I thought it was a daunting task to try to get a discussion going on with 90 other kids or 180 other kids and actually make it work. But um, being part of the program helped me see through other people's eyes how they do it. And so I was able to implement my project this year a little bit and try it out um, this September. So what I did was I worked with the, TLT, the TLTC to implement an online discussion forum. And basically what I did was I teach genetics, so I'll prompt like a question 
something like 23andMe, right? We've all seen the commercials. Well, it's, I hope the students have seen the commercials. Most of them were like, what's that? I don't watch TV, only Netflix. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we have to find a commercial, and then we'll, sh you know. But anyhow, so I would prompt them with a question like that and say, how does it relate to what we're doing in class? And I'd have them have a dialogue with their fellow students. So I broke the class into about 30 groups, because I have 90. So three per group or five per group, depending or depending on the class. And I'd let them engage with each other and respond to that prompt into their individual groups so I could follow their dialogue a lot easier. And then the daunting task was grading it because I wanted them to actually take it seriously. And with 90 students or 180, whatever it is, that's obviously a lot of grading, a lot of reading. So I implemented a peer review, which we also talked about in, in the UTF program that helped me figure out how to do a peer review so that students were actually doing the evaluating and I was kind of the observer and watching them have that dialogue. Um, I was hoping to be able to do like four discussions this semester. I only got through two, but the two that I got, to, got through were very good and the students, for the most part, got a lot out of it. They were able to engage in touch discussions. They took it extremely seriously and they really responded to students from what I got to see. And then grading was easier. I was able to grade the 30 groups in about 48 hours looking at the peer reviews and kind of scanning and for my own love of what my project was reading through the responses to see how engaged they were um, I was actually impressed so that was nice um, for that project we're still at the end of the semester so I haven't done a final review to see how the students enjoyed it but I did do a mid-semester review to see you know how the students liked the class and stuff like that and how, like a good proportion of the class loved the discussions and a few proportion of the class that candid discussions are too much work. I don't want to think about this. I just want to come to class and study for my exams. So I would like to continue keeping it in my classroom, but I think I might expand it so that they feel like it's a little bit more meaningful because there's still a disconnect. And it would be nice to be able to find a day in the classroom to kind of talk about what they have. We didn't have time to do that this semester because we're always out of time in my class. Um, so that's my project, and like I said, I have some of the responses, but the students took it seriously, so it's paragraphs and paragraphs of responses. The students responded to the prompts and to each other, um, which is good, because they took it seriously, but you have to kind of read through it, so I don't think it'll be very effective here. Um, but overall, I, I feel like it was a big help this semester. The students at least got a little connection to like why we're studying in genetics, and even if they don't want to be a geneticist and they want to become a doctor or something like that, they can see the connection for like their mom to understand it or their dad, like the layman people, like just regular folks. And I wanted them to, to kind of have that connection, like even though you might not want to be a geneticist, this is going to be useful to understand something um, bigger and better in the world and connect it to your community and to other things. So I got that kind of from the UFTF. I kind of had that idea, but I didn't think about it, how it would affect a community and how it would shape them as students. And through the program, I started thinking that it's shaping them more as an individual. And I hope they see that, and they may not notice it for a couple of years, because that's <laughs> how it works. <laughs> but I found that all out from the UTF program. So that's my project. Probably about five minutes. picture about teaching philosophy in my mind. So I thought like teaching is not only about talk about content, make sure they remember, understand, because they want to learn those stuff, they can just Google YouTube, even read textbooks. We can give them quiz, they can remember and understand, and they can test this knowledge. That's self teaching is not about this. So I thought teaching should be more about soft knowledge. So what they need to learn about is how to use those content and the knowledge and apply and evaluate in the higher level. Because I teach a cultural psychology, which is 2,000 level class. So Students make transition from intro psychology to a higher level research oriented in psychology, uh, other core courses. So during this UTF, we share all the ideas, strategies, and then uh, talk about feedbacks, how to make my class more engaged. And then, especially, the cultural psychology class is the uh, third time of teaching that uh, special topic and then now become a real course. 
and see uh, we I may be able to implement implement quite a few uh, different stuff. So one thing I'm struggling about that class is how much content I need to do because we only have 16 weeks minus the holidays. It's a 14 weeks instructional time and then 16 chapter in in the textbook. So it's unrealistic to talk about all of the in, in details and then try to balance between how much in depth I need to teach. Or, uh, or just go over the 16 chapters. And then also I tried to uh, struggle a little bit on the research aspect um, in, in my class because I just don't, not, don't want them to just remember everything about textbook. So one uh, project I implement is have a little bit research component in my, in my class rather than uh, doing a lab component as a one credit. So I want to try out these things in smaller com uh, component in my class. So we spend uh, four sessions to discuss a research aspect about cultural psychology because cultural psychology is a little bit like a, a, a not mean course for psychology as we look at a cultural differences compare western versus non-westerns and the student they understand that there's like a need for cultural psychology in that class but they don't know uh, they don't know more about detail and how much they should look in, into it so for the four uh, last sessions in, in the class Ask a student to a teach student go through uh, the web science in or a Scopus to do a more literature review search to search in the subfield psychology like personality development to look at articles basically count articles how many of them are conducted or conducting Western societies versus conducting non-Western societies and then uh, then uh, look at more in de detail about content so instead of numbers like. 1,000 articles on Western and then 100 articles on non-Western, but also look at in details on the content of the commonalities. So uh, throughout the semesters, we spent two sessions just on how to use Scopus, Web of Science, and then the site info, a search engine. And then uh, we ran into uh, quite difficulties on geographies. So a lot of students have trouble to look at the second country is Asia or the second country is Africa. So we spend a lot of time on, on that instead of psychology. And then uh, in the end, so I asked students to come up a project to present in the class in five minutes as a poster. So to just talk about overall project. So the goal was to make non-expert, non-psychologists to know that, just make a word of, of the cultural psychologist important in the, each sub-discipline. And so I have a chance to present to uh, student works. I, don't, I know it's a small poster. You can print this art, but you don't need to print it. So the content is, we asked them to talk about a little bit introduction about why cultural psychology is important, especially applied to uh, the different fields. So that student decided to do uh, cognition or cognitive psychology. And then their goal is, uh, the goal is basically compare contrast of Western versus non-Western uh, uh, empirical studies. And then for the method procedures, I asked them to detailly uh, go through uh, the procedure we did in the class and make sure other people can replicate if they read your, your poster or if they decide to do it. And then there's a little bit on the quantitative result. And so for that journal, 1,500 R study has been done. But you can see, you probably cannot see it clearly, as 95% of them has been conducted in the Western societies include America, English-speaking countries, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and UK, and Europe. And basically it's 5% conducting other work. And so they, then they understand, well, so it's really important for uh, to look at other cultures in terms of uh, the sub-discipline. Uh, and then in addition, they draw a couple graphs from a scope of size to uh, visually present readers what is the, uh, the articles across the years, across the the region, and then more importantly, the second proportion is to look at content uh, about those articles. So I ask them to uh, use a word clouds, just basically uh, go through all the titles, abstract, keywords, and then to find if there's commonalities among those articles in conducting non-Western societies. So you can see memory, processing, reading, so they are all big chunk in those articles, means like those articles that it's been done on uh, memories, processing readings, in the end, so we do a little bit of reflect on um, the conclusions and 
reflections. So this student, when they, when uh, I think she, when she uh, go through this process, she didn't realize that in cognitive psychology, sample can be animal, rats as well. Okay, so you make little notes here. So not only on human, but on animal can be a kind of uh, in uh, cognitive psychology. Here's another example we <coughs> go through in detail. So another student did a child development, so went through a very similar process in different form, format. So I think they are all, uh, most of them are uh, sophomore or, uh, uh, or junior, so I was so surprised about their work. I think they can submit this to an uh, 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 international conference even for a uh, more academic, ac academic conference rather than uh, in, as a class pro project. So uh, for the next uh, Wednesday and Monday, we're going to go through this and then ask the reflect, a reflection about the project. So again, if you can wait for another week, so I could present <laughs> about how they think about this project, if this project helped them uh, learn, not only understand, knowing, remembering the, the material we, we, we present in the class, but more about applying the, the tool they use to a specific topic and then analyze, and then evaluate, and the end they create this uh, unique work as, as, as their course pro project, rather than exam, exam, exam. So it's like 30% of the proportion of the, of the class. Right, so that's about my project. Yes. Are those quantitative? It's quantitative. It's qualitative. It's qualitative. So uh, they also, what they do is they just copy, there's a website, so they copy paste all the uh, keyword abstracts, so they can auto generate the word cloud. Okay. And then, in addition to that, they need to read those things, and then uh, they have the results section to uh, to analyze what the uh, word cloud is. Like 20% of this. So, uh, how did you get memory to be so big? Because I'm assuming memory is the biggest one. Is there... It's a cognitive psychology. So the study memory. Having, you're not able, are you able to... There's a quantitative aspect. Right, right, right. So, and you use a website. <laughs> right. And so you have the number of memory articles and the yeah, word memory. Yeah. So the number of... And especially when we look at how the article has been done in non-Western society versus right. Western society. So that's an interesting aspect. I, I didn't know the memory was showed up on really high uh, portions, but now I learned from students. <laughs>
It was also a time when I, basically that was my time for myself and my own work and so, and to reflect. So because it was structured, we were meeting whatever every other week or every week, I set aside that time and it gave me really a chance to think about my course and my teaching on a, like a bigger level. Not just like, how am I gonna deal with this student issue or this grading you know, issue or whatever, but just the, the scholarship of a teaching and learning. Um, I learned about a lot of innovative strategies, both in the books, but really from my, you know, fellow participants, uh, things that um, they had done. It was really a support group. Um, I'm a social worker, so uh, support groups are important. And uh, we, um, I mean, we, we accomplished a lot, but we also were able to support one another uh, through both just the administrative processes as well as teaching challenges. And um, it provided a lot of uh, great resources, free books um, on teaching and learning. So when I had to, um, I think when I submitted my application, I listed like five projects because I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, but uh, once I was accepted and I knew I was going to need to do a project, I really narrowed down. And my criteria for my project were really two main things. One, it had to relate to something that I was really struggling with. And number two, it had to be a, um, I'm on a tenure track line, right? So it had to make a contribution to the literature related to scholarship and learning meaning I needed to get a published article out of it. So um, what I uh, chose for my project was this. In social work, we have a one semester capstone course. It's in the spring that all seniors have to take. And um, I had only taught it once, uh, but there was really no syllabus in the sense that whoever taught it designed it the way they wanted to design it. So in some years it had just been a sort of current issues course. In other years it had just been sort of an extension of other courses that we teach. So it, it just varied depending on who was teaching the class. So I had come from an MSW program and I had taught a year-long capstone course which was really research focused. Now I couldn't do that in a one semester course so I was kind of left saying what am I going to make this course? As the director of the program and somebody who's teaching it, like, what am I going to do? So I spent uh, the year, uh, my UTF year, really doing a comprehensive review of the literature on capstone courses. And actually, most of the literature on capstone courses does not come out of social work or social sciences. A lot of it is in the hard sciences where there's a lot of research being done. And I, I amassed, I mean, I have a stack of articles, you know, this big. Um, and I really looked at what, you know, what was out there. And a lot of the writing had to do with, um, you know, here's how I teach the class. Or here's some of, like, the struggles that I have in teaching. A, you know, here are some of the challenges. And what I, I saw is that there really hadn't been a lot of work done on the conceptualization of capstone courses. And I'm not talking about just in social work, but just capstone courses overall. And so I did what you might call a content analysis of all of the articles and developed a, a conceptual framework for capstone and I didn't call it capstone courses because in some schools they're not tied to a specific class. This is a 5,000 level class here um, in our program, but um, I called it capstone experiences. And so basically what I found is regardless of discipline, regardless of sort of how the class was structured, some were focused on service learning, some were focused on research projects, some were, you know, they had all different um, areas. There were five uh, key elements of any capstone experience. And they were, um, and I can talk about each, but integration, assessment, application, scholarship, and identity development. And so if you really looked at any capstone experience and you delved into it, those were really the aims. And that, again, was regardless of, of discipline. So integration, for example, and this was true in our own program, it's the end. And so really it sits outside of those siloed courses of research or, or uh, human development or whatever discipline. And it's a way for faculty to bring together and to really talk about what students have learned in each of those individual courses. Assessment, a lot of capstone courses, including ours, 
Uh, we're accredited by an outside entity as well, the Council on Social Work Education. So it's an opportunity because it sits right prior to graduation for students to be assessed with regard to their competency. You know, it really is the last thing before they graduate. Um, application. So whether it's doing a research project, whether it's an internship or whatever, it's really an opportunity, capstone courses usually uh, um, include some sort of ability for students, whether it's some sort of experiential learning brought into the classroom or for students to go outside to be able to apply what they learned. Scholarship, this was one that I had struggled with because I come from a school where really scholarship was a, a huge part of, um, of the capstone experience. And here, in one semester, I was kind of trying to figure out, like, how does this apply in my own framework? How can I apply this to what I'm doing here at Seton Hall? And one of the things that um, the course taught me was to, to use a very broad definition of scholarship. So, you know, the idea of portfolio learning or the idea of scholarship and learning or the integration can be scholarship in and of itself. So I was able to use some of the texts that we had uh, read in the um, UTF to be able to support my assertion that capstone experiences needed to be scholarly in nature. And then the, the sort of last one was identity uh, development. You know, really it's the bridge between the classroom, right, the learner and the doer, and students graduating. And so a lot of time, again, regardless of discipline, students are really starting to identify not as students, but as emerging professionals within a particular area. So you can see uh, that I developed the framework and uh, I got a publication out of it. So that was great in a, um, in a, uh, at a, at a really good journal in social work education. And so um, it came out in August. Um, so my final thoughts, my five minutes was, it's a pretty big time commitment. You know, I was, you know, in some weeks, I have to be honest, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed, like, I can't even, like, clear my head, but uh, it was worth it, um, because it really, uh, again, allowed me to develop this piece of scholarship, but also just support me through my uh, process. The mentorship, both from the facilitator, but also um, my peers was really uh, valuable. Um, it's definitely something that I had only had one year of teaching experience at Seton Hall, so I knew how to park my car. Uh, I were parked, but beyond that, I didn't know much. So I think it was good, but it's definitely not something that you want to do like your first year here. It's good to have a year or two of teaching experience because you almost don't know what your problems are. Um, there's a need, and I talked to Mary about this, I'm waiting for UTF 2.0, um, which is, uh, it would be great to meet both, uh, I tried to have her accept me again, I was rejected. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I formally applied, but I did say, I wanna, if you are hurting for participants, I stand ready. And uh, would I do it again? Yes, so it was, it was great.
teach a new course, Corporate Risk Management, which happened to be part of my research. Uh, but however, this is for undergraduate students and it's elective. So um, there's a gap between the risk management and the undergraduate study. So most of the risk management courses are taught at the graduate level. So uh, there's a challenge in how to balance the uh, requirement of math and then the course depth. So I really hope to uh, use this course like uh, help the student to uh, connect to the real world and then help them to think about that risk management can be a potential uh, career path. And if you are in finance, you know that uh, right now there are two types of quants on Wall Street. One type of quants that basically create a 3D strategy, the portfolio management, but the other type of quant is for risk management. So I think that's important for students. But then there's another course I uh, uh, was asked to try to coordinate. Uh, it's not very successful, I do my best. <laughs> okay. So uh, this is a core course. Um, we have a very, uh, students from very diverse backgrounds, students from uh, physics, political science, and diplomacy, and all the other uh, business major. So uh, in the past, uh, like uh, there are nine sections and seven instructors, so there's uh, uh, the need to coordinate the sun, uh, instructor actually teach from the beginning to the end of the whole book, cover 27 chapters. Um, with those two new courses I'm going to teach in, in the, from the last four, I really feel worried. But then we have this uh, UTF program. <laughs> So I feel very lucky at this just in time, and the uh, department head uh, told me um, it's very nice. He wrote a very strong letter for me, even though actually I was not the, a good teacher, <laughs> not a good teacher. So uh, indeed, actually, this course uh, uh, is very mind-changing, and I really learned a lot. First of all, I understand that uh, being a professor actually is uh, it takes learning so seriously and profess it. So we profess our understanding in the interest of uh, nurturing that uh, uh, knowledge, understanding, development of others. So uh, in the past, like uh, I, I usually think I'm a tenure track professor. My main task is to do research. So teaching is required. I just want to get a good teaching evaluation. But when I read this part, I feel there's a, a commitment for me. And then they give me a little bit like a holiness uh, for my teaching. So that's a change a little bit uh, my mind. And then I believe uh, if you're already in the UKF uh, for the second year already, probably you already know the story. But this story uh, really, really um, uh, struck me. Um, so I believe uh, in our uh, seminars, uh, we all complain our students. Right? We know our students are inactive. They are very passive in the classroom. Um, if you ask them question, they don't answer, okay, and they are not motivated, and they even don't care, they're great. Uh, as far as they can get a C, the past the course, that's fine. So that's what we know, those are students from hell. But then, uh, Dr. Parker Palmer, he told his story in his book. Right? So this one time, he was asked to uh, lead a teaching seminar, but then in the end, uh, he was asked to teach a class with uh, 30 students. So his lecture went very well. So, but then out of the 30 students, there's one student who was sitting, sitting in the back row and in the far corner, the student just had a, a cap go over his eyes. So you never know whether he's listening or he's speaking. But then the, uh, Dr. Palmer tried his every way to try to wake him up. So I believe well, you probably have a similar student in, my, in your class. And I did have one student in my class, and usually I try to approach him and tap at the table, <laughs> or I may ask him questions, but usually it doesn't work. So in this case, he tried his every method, but it doesn't work. Right? So it really frustrated him. But then, after the dinner, uh, the school arranged a student to drive the school van to drop him at the airport, and then he see the driver was exactly the student from here. <laughs> So um, in a way, and then the students started uh, uh, talking to him, say, uh, Dr. Palmer, is it okay we talk? So she said, okay, sure, you bet. 
but then he started learning the story of the student. So uh, his father uh, was an unemployed labor and alcoholic. So his father, every morning, his father degraded him. His father said, you should not go to school. You should quit college. You should just get a job, get a life, save and marry. So he's not, he's not encouraged to finish his college. So after that story, uh, uh, Dr. Palmer really uh, understands. So um, basically, the student from Hill uh, is not born that way. Uh, and it's, uh, but it's created by conditions beyond his own control. So in my class, actually, uh, before the UPF, there's one semester. There's one student. It's very weird. I believe he's smart because during the class, he can answer the question, but he often missed class. Missed classes, but then he also missed the written exam. Oh, it's very weird. But then I gave him the opportunity for the makeup exam. He did pretty good. But then he missed from the class again. So in the final exam, he didn't show up. So I, I found his phone number, I called him, I said, it's late, you should come here to take the exam. And he reluctantly come and take the exam. But of course, he failed the exam, okay? But then he asked me, uh, can I take the exam again? So at that time, I was really angry. <laughs> so, but after I read this story, I think uh, in retrospect, maybe I should give him another opportunity, because I recall just once uh, doing uh, in my office, actually, told me he was kind of depressed. Okay, so so after these uh, uh, events, actually, uh, this one actually last semester, uh, actually in this semester, this one student, he also failed in his midterm exam. He almost like, get like a 45 out of 100. So I called him to my office again and asked him what happened. Okay, and then, at this time, I encouraged him a lot, and he did change. So I gave the actual, uh, Opportunity and he finished that uh, project first. So uh, I hope he can also do well in the final exam. So I believe we really uh, need to encourage our students. So if uh, you can notice, uh, Tony, I don't know whether you can see, actually I still uh, from you. So we emphasize the empathy and then the encouragement is hand. Okay. So the another thing is uh, what I learned is that uh, there's a scholarship of teaching. Okay, so in the past, I think a scholarship is just, I do research and write paper, but then figure out that it really takes a lot of intellectual activity and efforts to uh, try to study how to engage students and how to uh, explain things. And I, I hope uh, we can also publish a paper like you uh, in the future. So um, I also uh, learned a lot uh, from our uh, uh, fellows. Uh, try to um, like uh, use our own experience. That is what Tony, Tony, right? Use our own experience in the classroom. Students really like uh, uh, what happened to you. So, for example, I, I shared a story about my mortgage. So I took out the mortgage and then I prepaid some of the principal. So theoretically, they should uh, lower my monthly payment, but they didn't do it. And then I called the Bank of America. Okay, and threatened that if you don't do it, I'm going to call the Bureau of the uh, there's a Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Okay, <laughs> so and then Bank of America apologized to me. So when I share that story to the student, the student get very excited. And even after the class, one student approached me and he asked me, "Do you know what happened to the head of that CFD, uh, CBTF?" They actually, uh, uh, the President Donald Trump changed the head, so that bureau actually changed the direction. Okay. And one more thing I learned actually from one of uh, our fellow agents about the fairness. So yeah, I think it's very important. Okay, so I can just uh, stop here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
everybody's graciousness and thankfulness and gratefulness. This was a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. My original proposal uh, was focused on assessing student impact from the capstone class in public relations. And uh, it was at the fortunate time of both basically reaccreditation, hiring and bringing a new faculty member on board, uh, and also having obviously the department become a college of communication and the arts and my program splitting from journalism. So it was a wonderful time to kind of look at public relations, what are we doing and why are we doing it. My personal uh, educational philosophy is grounded in experiential learning, learning by doing, part of public relations being a practical field. So very, very quickly, if you ask 10 people, or even the eight in the cohort what PR is, you get eight different answers. PR is not marketing. PR is based in advocacy, outreach, influence, impact, all of these things that are hard to articulate and measure. So to ask students to do that sometimes is very, very hard. Um, but also, I want our students to be very aware of what we do and how it's tied to the greater good. Um, very interested in community-based learning, experiential learning and those kind of things, but making sure students know the impact of their work, both on a personal level, on a professional level, and on the community level. So experiential learning, learning by doing, actually trying something, testing it, but most importantly, thinking about it and reflecting upon it. How does that fit into our senior seminar model, which has kind of been this kind of nebulous research-based thing that students really struggle with and hate doing and um, don't necessarily get much out of. So we have community-based learning in our curriculum. Um, we have uh, an engagement in public relations too, which is a required course, majors, minors, anybody in the public relations class will take that class where they are learning by doing. And the key here, back to the idea of greater good, that they're doing with the organization, not for. While it is some client agency kind of relationship, the impact, again, doesn't necessarily go for the organization, it goes for the institution in which they're serving. Um, so we primarily do partner with nonprofits based on my personal uh, client list, but also the, the servant leadership mission of the university. Knowledge sharing through dialogue and demonstration, people are talking about it, but they're doing it, and again, together is the key. Uh, again, the impact, hopefully, is personal and professional impact. So one more shout out to, to family bringing Bloom's taxonomy to a different level. The thing that I personally got from UTF the most was that I'm doing a lot of this stuff coming from a professional background, coming from practical skills. I'm doing it, how do I talk about it in academic language? So we actually do have a tiered curriculum, um, intro to PR, PR2, the planning and client relations, and then senior seminar. One of the things that I wanted to make sure we do is have students understand this higher order, lower order thinking, and how these pieces build upon each other. There was a big disconnect in our program where students weren't bringing their writing skills from PR1 to PR2 and that kind of a thing. And then again, the, the senior seminar experience was kind of all over the place. I learned about scaffolding in the program, which again, we were kind of doing, but now I could tie the language and the rationale behind it to make sure that the students understand that as well. Um, luckily, the faculty in my program jumped on board. We now actually have these kind of document or um, graphics in our syllabi, which is fantastic, so the students understand that as well. Uh, we review it in senior seminar. The one thing too that, again, we had been doing a little bit informally that I have now formalized is that reflection and reframing. It's always been a part of the senior seminar course, but almost like an additional assignment at the end of the semester. It's now part of their senior seminar project. So this semester, they actually had to reflect upon their PR2 engagement, not necessarily dissect it and talk about it and do the same thing over again, but to pick an element of that that they wanted to expand upon, learn more about, which they did, again, through the foundational experience, adding their perspective, what they learned from that, that assessment circle, integrating it into some kind of an artifact or an outcome that they can then share and get validated. So best practices in social media for nonprofits, here's five things they should do, here's five things that, five examples, show it to somebody that works in a nonprofit in communications, get their feedback, and reflect upon it. What did you learn from the practical experience and that reflection experience, that is now essentially their senior seminar project. What results is confidence. They now talk about PR in PR terms. I don't have marketing 
uh, projects anymore. I don't care that Kanye West is a PR genius. I care about how to execute plans successfully, that strategy behind them. Now students are using those kind of terminology uh, both in their projects but also in their reflections as well because again, PR in a field, in a field of study, I still get calls for the PR and marketing department of the university. I am not that department. I am the academic department. So sometimes there's a lot of confusion about PR. So I believe it's integral that we're educating the next generation of PR leaders to be confident in their field. One of the big challenges is that they work in all different kinds of industries all over the place. So there really is a great shared perspective uh, that we can bring to that. How has that affected the program? I'm, again, very lucky this all happened at that kind of uh, perfect storm time. Being able to be really intentional about where we are and where we're going. Um, we're now one of the largest majors in the college. We were recently one of five regional schools picked to participate in the Planck Center Challenge for Emerging Leaders, which is a great opportunity for our students. We did receive our CEPR, so thank you for all of those who saw tears and, and angst uh, during last semester. And um, the next step that we've been exploring again from a, a curricular impact is that portfolio piece. I think it's, it's something that we focus on a lot. It could bring great benefit and focus to the PR program. We get our students late. Uh, so again, graduating both proficient and confident scholars is my goal. So I tried to be quick because I know we're up against the time, but any quick questions? <laughs> I wasn't sure, so thank you so much to all of you. Thank you folks for coming. Um, there is another group, as I said, in the process now. Um, under